If you look at the word imperfect, it has perfect hiding in it. I am perfect is imperfect. Welcome to Talks of Imperfection. We are about to meet Rutsika Sikri, a well-being pioneer in Silicon Valley, a mother of two and a VC following her calling to create better world through investing. In this episode, Rutsika reflects on her 15-year career at Google and how he had an important part in making the Googlers to search inside. Ruchika was rolling out Google's science-based mindfulness, well-being and compassion programs globally. We learn how the evolution of corporate human development changed from performance management to developing leaders towards perfection and eventually organizing well-being programs allowing imperfection. My name is Risto Kulasma and I'm your host at Talks of Imperfection where we meet nearly perfect people revealing their imperfections. Our intention is to create an encounter where we learn and get inspired about what kind of role imperfection plays in our private and professional lives. Welcome to the show. It's a beautiful morning at Ruchika's home garden in San Jose, California. So welcome to the Talks of Imperfection podcast. Thank you. It's a <laughs> honor and a delight to be here with you today. So good to have you. How does the world look now from the investor perspective? What kind of pitches and proposals you are receiving? You know, I think uh, last two years have been a wake-up call for many, many people. Uh, I think hopefully for everybody, right? That we have finite amount of time on this planet and people who've been doing the inner work um, and more people are now doing inner work and they're having a retake on their life, right? Like it's, we call it this great resignation movement, but I'm also, I also read an article on Fortune the other day which says it's not a great resignation move, movement, it's really a great retake movement, you know? Like what do we want to do? And I think that's why this field is so enabled right now. The type of ideas I feel people are coming out with is um, to enable more therapy, you know, for mental health challenges. It's not a secret anymore, uh, but it's a epidemic and pandemic, like whatever you want to call it. People don't talk much about the uh, increasing rates of anxiety and depression, lack of availability of good therapists um, and psychologists available to help people have like a brain doctor available to them like you know if I, my arm breaks I definitely run to an ER urgent care but if I'm having an anxiety panic attack I think 100 times before I go seek help so I think people are trying to destigmatize that and create platforms for easy access um, to therapy um, and specialist helps if they need uh, a lot of Great work happening on um, addressing loneliness, and I would like to actually see more of that. Um, we are all ha we all have thousands, hundreds of friends and followers on Instagram and Facebook, but we're really lacking real connections. Really lacking that uh, authentic, honest conversations, understanding from each other. So people are trying to address that. You know, if we are always on our phone, how can we take people from this online world to offline world? 
people are working on web3 ideas artificial intelligence how can that be more ethical helpful um people are working on metaverse platform you know the oculus how do we enable better well-being through it so it's really interesting to see how people are meeting and emerging ideas uh with the emergence of technology overall and what makes you most excited in your current job oh just an uh, just to be able to serve and uh create a platform where this beautiful house can be made and many can come into it as investors as entrepreneurs as creators as a community just like having my ha- being able to dirt like make my hands dirty with like this kind of project it's messy it's uncertain i've you know this is my first time doing any work in the venture um firm um but again you know i thrive on this challenge of learning and growing and any time a new thing is put in my lap it's scary and at the same time it's exciting also uh that i get to learn and i get to learn and support something that's massively helpful for humanity hopefully and also for the planet so that's most exciting the opportunity to learn and grow and contribute so we're all learning and growing together uh yeah so talk about perfection in imperfection right <laughs> that's how we are playing Well, let's let's get going. You you have exited 15 years at Google. That's that's a quite a journey and um I would like to hear the full story, how it all started and and where you ended. Mhm. If I look back, I feel the 15 years was such a long time. And sometimes I sit with it and I feel like it was a blink of an eye. that those 15 years have passed isn't that just reflective of our lives resto i feel that's how our life typically is we feel we have these long amount of time on this planet and when you look back you're like oh my gosh i'm in my 30s i'm in my 40s already where did the life go it was something similar at google for me um i was there at for 15 years the journey uh started um in a bit of a surprise for me i wasn't expecting to be working at google i was a new mom at that time i was working at cisco and was quite unhappy at that time i don't think it has anything to do with cisco particularly so i'm not sh- saying anything like that but i feel there was an internal um conflict for me to be more present as a mother um and also working the long hours that technology industry typically seeks out of you uh, at least in that stage of my career and uh, i resigned my job at cisco and i remember uh, going to the daycare to visit my daughter she was 9 months old at that time and we had just started her in daycare and i met this executive from google who also had their child and they had come to nurse their baby at uh, the daycare and i went to do the same thing And so we were sitting and she asked me so what are you doing how are you doing uh with your career and overall and so I told her like you know I'm quit- quitting my job at Cisco right now and I would like to take some time off or find a better flexible opportunities where I can dedicate time to motherhood or to my work 
And she said, have you applied at Google? And at that time, my husband was working at Google and he had already put my resume in. And she said, why don't you send me your resume and I'll put it in as well. And so I sent it to her, you know, not being really attached to if I will find a job or not. And uh, lo and behold, like in a couple of months, um, soon after I left my job at Cisco, I found myself at Google. And I joined as an HR analyst. Um, the circumstances were kind of lending towards me taking on that employment and who would pass on Google. It was just such a great company uh, known for, you know, great practices for employee care and development. And my husband had good things to say and we had a lot of friends working there. So it was very reassuring. So I joined as an HR analyst and my first task was to actually put a performance management system in place along with some really incredible people around me. And uh, there I go on a journey uh, trying to figure out how does Google want perfection to be valued? And all I could tell was it was a very imperfect process. And uh, what we were gauging was not so much about perfection of people, but their ability to uh, be open to learning and growing and adapting to that constantly changing ground that we were as Google. At that time, there were probably 4,000 employees in 2006. Don't hold me to that number, but approximately it was around that. And uh, when I left Google, we were 130,000 employees. So I saw a massive growth happen uh, at Google when, while I was there. And um, I feel so privileged and honored that I was part of that growth um, and could adapt myself and see people who were successful adapt themselves to the change as well. And um, so we did put a performance management system in place, which was very peer-driven. Um, I did that work for a good three to four years and spent long hours uh, making sure we deliver that system uh, with as much perfection as possible. <laughs> but um, there were always, you know, changes coming down our, our way. Uh, we were always refining it further, making it better for employees. And then while I was there, I got an opportunity to go do my master's program on organization design and development from University of San Francisco. And that actually sparked a lot of interest in me looking at the people side of things. Being an analyst and a program manager, I looked at processes and numbers and data a lot more than the people behind those processes and numbers. So it was kind of an awakening for me to see that actually an organization is like an organism. And it is made of people who are all different they're changing all the time. The processes are changing all the time. And as a collective, we're changing all the time. And it gave me this bird's eye view of how should one run an organization or how an organization is even run and developed. And that uh, sparked a lot of interest. So I took a detour and started doing more people development kind of work and found myself to be inviting that type of work in my life. And um, my first project on that was to, again, help establish something new that was not done at that time at Google to develop a, a process to do executive development. Uh, you know, we wanted to grow talent from within the company. Uh, we were growing ma at massive rate 
you know, hiring five, 10,000 people every quarter, every six months. And we needed leaders from within who understand the culture, who could preserve it, protect it and grow along with them. So I was lucky to find an opportunity to support a process like that and did that for another couple of years. And that kind of just sprinkled into manager development, team development. So spent a lot of time really looking at how to enable people to grow and develop. I did not quite have a very good um, understanding of it that time. But if I look back, you know, that all of that work and adaptation and evolving was helping me learn and grow so much as well. I started with a business degree as an analyst, and then I started doing like people programs at all different levels. And while doing all of this to manage my own stress and well-being, I was really immersed in yoga and meditation and mindfulness. I was going on retreats, taking weekly classes. So I also kind of became this known quantity of somebody who has some practices to manage my own stress and burnout, um, which most of these companies, um, you know, you, you end up being in that state if you're working long hours with some smart people around you. And, uh, you know, a few years, fast forward about seven years into my career, we had a moment of realization. We've grown so fast that employees were actually not able to adapt to that level of pace in terms of also um, taking care of their well-being and health. So we saw some kind of interesting numbers come through um, our yearly survey, which indicated we need to put more focus and attention on that. And that's when, you know, our leadership team put a team together, a cross-functional team together to enable mindfulness, well-being, um, and compassion programs for employees. And again, I found myself to be in this completely new territory of being a practitioner myself, however, had never done any formal education on wellness. I was attending retreats for mindfulness, but I had never t taught a class on it. Um, but I kind of knew the trick to get the programs off the ground and scale it globally because I had done it a couple of times before in different areas. And that's where, you know, my journey started on well-being learning projects at Google. And our SVP and VPs were very supportive of that. They believed in the scientific uh, evidence we were bringing on how this is helpful for employees to raise their self-awareness, their emotional intelligence, so that they can realize that they have boundaries and limits, and then they can manage to those limits and take the time off and disconnected vacations manage their well-being day to day. And I thought, honestly, it would be a six months to a year project that I would just rotate into and rotate out of and do something different. But it ended up being an eight-year journey, you know, really cultivating mindfulness at Google. What's been the evolution of, of uh, measuring perfection? Measuring perfection uh, at Google. I think we were in the... Um, in the business of measuring growth and evolution um, of technology, of people, of our capabilities and interest and things that can be helpful for the world. Google has a great mission, you know, make products that are helpful for the world, right? It's simple. Um, and 
I think it stayed that way, Risto. It got more complex, I think, towards the end. When I left, I realized we were a massive organization. And the processes that I supported, like performance management, compensation planning, leadership development, manager development, team development, they all just grew by magnitude of, you know, amount of people we had. And the complexity added uh, of the number of products than Google offered. When I joined, it, we were primarily a search and advertisement company, right? And now if you look at it, we are an alphabet company. So pretty much every alphabet has a company associated with it. So the processes, I think, are continuing to evolve and adapt to the growth and the need that the organization has now. And of course, like I've been out of Google for one year now, so I'm not sure how things are. Um, but a lot of attention was continued to be paid on, um, are we taking enough risks? Are we rewarding people for taking risk? Are we not, um, you know, uh, treating failures as bad things, you know? And how do we kind of also uh, evolve people dynamics around, you know, the agility and organization needs, adaptability that organization needs? And how was the culture around imperfection and failures? You know, for the most part, I felt I can speak personally from my own uh, part that there was a lot of permission to take risks and fail. You know, even to do this mindfulness learning program at Google, I don't think any other organization had ever thrown money or resources to enable their employees to scale these kind of programs. It was risky, you know, money and headcount was given to that. But we found that to be quite successful and helpful. Uh, and it showed through the level of adoption. So that is like in my area. As an observer of Google overall, I think it was very much valued and it still is valued. Um, however, you know, when you kind of get to this level of where Google is right now and um, the number of people we have, there are certain like boundaries that need to be created around it. So I don't, my perception is that the innovation, risk taking, um, evolving how we work is continuing to happen. You know, even now, I, I would hope for sure up until I left, there was a lot of permission to do that, uh, to be imperfect and fail, take risk, try again, get up and then fail again. Um, so I call it like it's a beauty, beautiful, you know, story of imperfection at play all the time. Um, but then, you know, you also had to have good judgment as an employee, as a leader. Uh, like, you know, if you are failing too many times, it's not just because it's your passion project. There are some signals and indicators that are telling you that this may not really work. Uh, for example, we tried some programs within our unit as well. And we did like try for quick fails rather than like spending resources and time on something for five years and then sunsetting something. So I feel like as organization grew, uh, there were more calculated uh, and smarter ways to take risks as compared to like a lot of opening and you know, for unforeseeable for future. In a way, you are describing the evolution of forward-thinking corporate life. 
So if we look at this 15-year span from performance management to developing leaders to well-being programs, and I remember when we met um, a few years back, and that was exactly the time when we were in an event, and I was I was quite impressed coming from Europe, and um, on same stage we had uh, uh, just a, a freshly appointed chief mindfulness officers from LinkedIn. I think it was Facebook, and and then then it was you, and and uh, you know that that was for me an event where I I realized that okay. Now we've taken the next step in the well-being cultures of, of the corporations. So let's go back to the to the kind of the beginning of the well-being programs at, at Google. Um, how it started, like how, was it you who pitched it or was it coming from from the um, uh, senior management or what was the kind of starting point? Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, that was about 10 years ago. Um, things would often start as a very employee-driven uh, initiative at Google. That was quite a popular thing. Um, we had and still have, hopefully, uh, 20% time to dedicate on a project that we would like to work on. And that's helpful and related to what the company wants to do and that advances our organization and Google forward together. And uh, the way the mindfulness work particularly started, and I have a different answer for how it became important to pay attention and give resources to well-being programs. So let me actually go to the mindfulness part first. So one of the engineer at Google, Chad Meng Tan, he, um, you know, who he and some other people would just generally host meditation sessions once or twice a week at Google. So that was something that I was taking part in. And uh, eventually, Meng ended up writing a book called Search Inside Yourself. And that was a play on Google, a search company. We helped the whole world search for things on the internet. And, you know, Meng designed this book called Search Inside Yourself that at employees at Google, we need to search inside yourself to stay to really know like what we are doing, who we are and what we are, you know, working on. And his book got published and it became, you know, a bestseller. And uh, then Google employees got very motivated to read that book. So he started offering short trainings and he was very instrumental in bringing a lot of leaders in mindfulness space who were doing research science work to prove the efficacy of mindfulness practices in a very you know, hardcore like science way to say, you know, it actually helps you to be more balanced, to be more harmonious, to be more productive, to be more creative. So they were kind of connecting the dots between the sitting practice and what is important to an organization. So that's how the mindfulness journey at Google started. And uh, he was offering that program as a 20% project. You know, he was a a full-time engineer also. And then, you know, a lot of us got interested in it and a lot of speakers and authors would come to Google and we would just do these talks. Um, So it was very employee-driven, volunteer-based program for a good two to three years. And then a few, couple of years down the line when we saw that employee numbers were uh, kind of not so great on well-being scores um, because the organization has grown so massively, 
um then you know we also notice like what all is working naturally at the grassroots level and mindfulness was kind of raised as one thing which was a really high in demand you know people wanted to come to meng's class he had like a 2000 people wait list and but there were no other people working on it and he had a full time job along with it so we looked at various things we put in programs for nutrition for exercise for you know just kind of pointers to employees like you can take a long walk during the day or do a walking meeting and similarly like we also uh, created a program uh, programmatic aspect to scale search inside yourself training which involved training other employees or bringing external trainers and then we also wanted to normalize mindfulness at google and the way we did that was in a very community driven way which um ended up you know being one of the projects i supported and led called g pause which is google pause so we're running and playing all the time so we encouraged you know through that program g pause for employees to just take a break sit and meditate or just be you know and that was quite remarkable risto because we got so much interest that a lot of volunteers from all around the world raised their hand to say can i actually lead gpods in my organization i am a meditator i'm not a professional teacher of meditation but i can hold space for people to come and sit so you know within a year time we had 140 offices around the world who had a volunteer holding the space for people to come together and meditate every day or invite a speaker to come on this topic and talk so that's how the mindfulness programs grew and we got eventually you know emotion um the uh, support from our leaders to also grow this program uh, in a more official space and capacity and then after 15 years you decided to step out how was the process of letting go I guess it was a tough decision. Mm, yes, and it wasn't sudden that I left. It was kind of 2 years in the making when I kind of started feeling getting the signals that it's time to do something different. And I wasn't quite sure what that was. Um it was compounded Risto with a personal a personal, you know, thing that I was going through in my life. I lost my mom 2 years ago. now almost 3 years ago to um uh, a neurodegenerative disease that kind of really took her from being 100% okay to not being with us within 2 years and so there was like a lot of overlap that happened between you know my work transitioning and also my personal loss um so i wanted to like have some time to comprehend like what is overpowering me right now to make this transition is it really work something else is calling or is it something i'm just you know going through a transformation of you know not having my mom on this planet anymore and uh, the transition to me um at at google happened uh last year where um i kind of hit this point like last year january where one of the executive when they came to one of the executive development program that i was leading they said something very beautiful to the audience at the fireplace fire uh, fireplace chat that we were having and he said you know we each have a role to play in an organization and when we and it's very important to know when that role begins and when that role ends 
and nothing goes on forever. So in January last year, I took a transfer to work on a different project and I realized like maybe my role at Google has ended um, because eight years doing mindfulness programs, what a gift it was. And I know that you can't continue doing the same thing. And there were signals coming in, you know, the type of work I was doing, the projects I had, my heart was not fully aligned with it. Not that the projects were bad. People were great. Projects were very creative. I didn't feel like I, I was the right person to do it. And then last year, you know, in March, I ended up getting COVID. Uh, this was before vaccination came out. My whole family had it. And I took three weeks off from work, of course, because we were all sick. And that was a moment where I realized like, wow, I could have died, right? And this is my second life and I need to choose what I want to do with the second life. And I went back after I felt 100% okay, 90% okay. Uh, and I told my manager, hi, I'm back, but goodbye, I can't be here anymore. <laughs> because I, feel I need to find alignment in my life. Uh, and I'm, uh, you're amazing. The team is doing great work but I don't think I'm the right fit for this team. And this was just two months into a transfer. I felt bad, like I'm leaving the team in that situation that they have to backfill, but it wasn't fair to stay for longer. So I left, you know, and March 31st is going to be my one-year anniversary, uh, leaving this mothership uh, and, you know, moving on to this new world. And <laughs> how did the world look with the fresh eyes you know, stepping out from the mothership and um, and looking at the world and starting to think, okay, how to make a difference. What were your kind of uh, remarks? It was liberating. <laughs> I didn't think so. You know, when I was at Google, I'm like, I can never leave this place. The wonderful people I have, the opportunities, the projects. It was everything, you know, it had become my life. Um, but it felt so liberating. Um, and thankfully, I just had a beautiful community waiting outside to connect with. So I didn't stop. I just continued, like, you know, keeping up my connections within Google, outside of Google. And a whole world opened up. I felt like somebody burst the bubble and I'm suddenly like out of this bubble and I could see things more clearly. I could have freedom. I could have possibilities that were untouched, untapped. Uh, of course, like the financial stability had completely shifted because now it's all like exploration. Um, but at the same time, thankfully, I had planned my reserves enough to not worry about it. You know, for at least one year, I gave myself one year. Um but it's been great, you know, I've had such heart-to-heart -heart connection with real authentic people in this last one year and have been given more than what I deserve sometimes, I feel, Risto, in terms of opportunities and uh, connections and possibilities. There's so much to be done that I feel my finite self in terms of time, body and energy cannot fulfill all of those responsibilities that there's so much good work to be done outside and then things started to build towards wisdom ventures mm -hmm. how how that came together yeah you know one of the uh, very 
unexpected things that happened when I left Google was uh, a few startup uh, founders started coming to me and said, hey, can you actually advise us? Can you be our advisor? And I thought it's like the status I had with Google and my title was kind of, you know, someone from Google is on our advisor. But these were really genuine, authentic people wanting to create products and platforms and businesses that help mindfulness, human connection, well-being, compassion in the world. And that was energizing for me because I was like, oh, I work to get to work with innovators. And so I joined many advising boards um, to understand and see where I can help. So that kind of started growing. And then Soren Gordhammer, my lovely friend, who is the founder of Wisdom 2.0, he and I were also in touch about like, what is my next chapter looks like? And he was exploring what's the next chapter for Wisdom 2.0 looks like. And I shared this with him that I'm somehow inviting this innovator energy in my life right now. Entrepreneurs who want to create technology, platforms, businesses that are good for humans and our planet. And he said, oh, that's interesting because, you know, I'm also really exploring that right now. Like, why wouldn't venture capital world uh, prioritize investing in companies that are really aligned with what we have been trying to do? And he already had this platform, Wisdom 2.0, where you and I met uh, a while ago, Risto, where he was cultivating conversations with really senior technologists in the valley to say, what role does technology and mindfulness have together? How can we create products that are less addicting and distracting in nature, but more connecting um, and authentic, creating authentic connection between human being and how technology in many ways has also disrupted our lives. You know, we were talking about the youth mental health is so compromised right now because we feel like they're spending much more time on devices um, with on Instagram, Snapchat, all of these things were created with maybe a good mind of, you know, creating more connections for people, but it's also having a lot of adverse effect on society. And especially after Social Dilemma movie came out, we were just boggle like how these algorithms work and why can't we have some governance? Why can't we have some ethics in designing these technology and platform? And are there people outside who want to invest in these projects and create platforms that are more helpful than, you know, distressful? And so we kind of, you know, he also was working with another partner of his um, uh, and they had some attention going into it. So we came together and I kind of just put, as I always do, like, oh, amorphous idea, beautiful, uh, something that's helpful, great, and something that can scale, amazing. So let's put like a process around it. So my operational sense kicked in and uh, we, we we came together, we had some more people join, you know, Diego Perez, Young Pueblo joined our team, then Jack Cornfield, our wisdom holder, he joined the team. Uh, Gus Tai, he's a venture capitalist. He's been advising uh, us for a long time. And now Bradley Horowitz has joined the team. He's a VP at Google and a a founder of Area 120. So it's just beautiful to see like people who've had that internal shift in their life want to pay attention, time and give energy to this project. So that's how Wisdom Ventures came about. And now we're an official company uh, with a great team in place with a beautiful community. Like we do once a month community gatherings and 
more than 150 people show up and they share with each other their inspiration, intention, what they're wanting to create and what help they need. So I don't think there's any venture firm out there that's developing a community around investments and innovation in this way. And I feel very proud of ourselves and we hope that Wisdom Ventures is successful and continues to grow and inspire many other venture firms to adopt a impact-based mindset as compared to only returns on investment-based mindset. What is your relation to money? Mm. Risto, I did not grow up with a lot of financial stability in my life. And uh, for me, like, you know, to have that stability came, that realization came to me very, very early. Like I remember I was probably just starting high school at that time to know that I want to be financially independent. And thankfully, you know, I've worked hard and I've been given opportunities to have that uh, in life. Um, And we know that that's a, you know, that structure is really needed. That stability is needed to, um, to be able to grow in what else does life offer, right? Like the Maslow's hierarchy of needs, if people know about that, it tells you like, you know, the clothing, shelter, food are our basic needs. And then, you know, we can do more sense-making, meaning-making, have work aligned to doing more impact until we reach the self-actualization. So that's my overall, my personal relationship with wealth and abundance that, you know, we all need it. Um, And I remember this quote from Jim Carrey. I saw it on Facebook. He said, I wish for everybody on this planet to have enough money that they know that that's not the only thing we need in our life. I'm probably not paraphrasing it well, but he said something in that context. And now to bring it to the VC world, you know, it's all about money, right? It's returns on investment, really high stakes, very high risk. And I'm learning and growing um, in, in that field as well. But I feel the wealth is given to us or the money comes to us as an energy and it needs to circle because any type of energy when constricted, it can cause a lot of challenges, right? We are energy and money is part of that energy that we have. So the stability that has been given to people who have been given some capital, I feel, you know, it, it, it's, it's just our karmic contributions towards how to keep that money going and how to make good things happen through that money. And I think that's my relationship with this. And so that, so that's, that's where I'll, I'll pause and see if you will have a follow-up question, but that, those are my, my remarks on it. What would be your message to people who see money as an, you know, some sort of a negative force or there is a bias or negativity towards mm. wealth? Well, my invitation to, uh, you know, it's the same as I give to myself that um, I was talking to a sweet friend yesterday and we were talking about wealth. And, you know, I feel... My invitation to people who have the wealth and money is to have a relationship with it, to know that that stability has been given to you with a sense of responsibility to use that stability effectively to bring stability in other people's lives. 
people who may have negative relationship with like oh i don't need money you know it it's also interest uh, important to reflect on why does one feel like that maybe that whatever they have is sufficient and they don't need any more and that's fine we need to honor and respect that and so you could design your life around that but if somebody wants like more money um or does not want enough money it's really important to reflect on why is it the case for you i can't answer this for everybody but i always remember one of my founder of a company that i advise i had the same conversation with them and i was telling them like you know i really don't care so much about the money but i really want to serve and enable this work for to them and he reminded me that ruchika don't say that like you know the wealth again is a it's an abundance it comes to you so that you can use it effectively and wisely and that kind of like made me pause a little bit to say okay you know if i get money then you know how can i circle it back so that it creates more abundance and stability for others just the way i needed it right like if i had like why oh, don't need money but i want career stability and financial stability like and going to google and getting paid for it you know all of that is like part of the whole mix and uh so that's where uh you know my only invitation is like you know how we have uh health energy we have spiritual energy we have friends social energy i i treat like money and wealth as an energy um and to enable us to be aware of it and to regulate it and direct it in a way that's helpful for ourselves and for everybody uh, around us as well which imperfection you are working on your on your personal side currently mm. uh always everything is work in progress for me um i think self doubt is something that i would say i have to practice a lot of self compassion to say who am i to be doing this or what am i to be enabling this kind of work uh am i capable of doing it uh so i have to like just pause and see that talk going on in my head and respect it and honor it because it's telling me to grow and to learn and then have that effective relationship with it um i've always had that resto right like oh uh, am i worthy of it uh can i do it right what if i fail and now i have a relationship with it because i know that that voice is only trying to it's a friend of mine which is speaking a language that uh, typically a, f- a a friend wants say but it's also guy it's my guiding force as well to say okay yeah i hear you but i'm going to continue trying i will make my list every day i will make my connections every day i will be open to receiving guidance and advice from others and that's how i learn and grow so it's that imperfection finding that perfection in the imperfection every day in every moment what would be your advice how to befriend your imperfection um i think that was what you were already describing i would say two words be kind to it and bring curiosity to it so whenever we are up against i'm not good enough or have self doubt you know know that there is that voice in 
most of us like un- until we're like extreme narcissist or something and we have completely you know we have delusion and i probably have my own delusion states uh, so not you know uh, really just talking about in in general um i always invite like kindness and curiosity uh, in my mindfulness practice when i become aware of this negative or unpleasant narrative that's going on in my head and they help me in this way you know um if i'm curious you know then i have an objective relationship with it i can become the observer of the movie and i'm not participating in that movie so it creates that distance curiosity is a very strong word you can bring in any conversation that's happening in your head or with somebody else like why are you presenting yourself to yourself or why are you presenting yourself to me right now always a great invitation kindness is like oh it's my human nature there is this you know survival thing that's wired in my body that i that will always warn me of any danger oh that's why i need to be kind with myself right now not to cut myself slack all the time but you know that enables you to take the next step and then take the next step rather than i'm just going to jump off the cliff today <laughs> or not even try how you define perfection i think it is imperfection <laughs> uh it is hiding in imperfection uh my definition of perfection is uh the agility uh we can bring in our life humility uh adaptability curiosity the more like you know if you had a scale to measure this in your life every day self compassion um compassion towards others understanding each other ability to listen uh, ability to f- be okay with the difference of opinions in teams and respect that and love that and admire it i think all of those qualities as they grow in our life uh they drive perf- us towards perfection not like how i'm dressed today how is this am i speaking in the right volume here or am i the right person for risto to be you know interviewing for this i think that's all opinions and thoughts and uh narratives that are always constantly going on um but our own sense of growth and learning bringing in more wisdom practice creating a community the more we have that around us i think the more perfect we are <laughs> and what is your advice to to young entrepreneurs striving for perfection and uh, looking for financing you start to see this kind of type more and more often right mm-hmm. what do you see there and and what would be your advice mm. i would ask them to reflect on their definition of perfection you know what is perfection for them is it a goal post that they're trying to achieve or is it a process So my uh experience has been that perfection is a process, you know, and a probably a never-ending process. Um I used to share the story in Search Inside Yourself which I would like to share with our audience today. You know, you can you, we can go into a bathroom and clean it, you know, and it looks great. We can go in and continue cleaning it and cleaning it and cleaning it. Is it necessary? Likely not, right? 
So, and each of us will have a different threshold on like how much clean we want to see each of our bathrooms to be. <laughs> so really reflect on that for yourself, right? Like, you know, is perfection um, kind of disabling you from trying, from taking risk, from connecting, from seeking skills and capabilities of other people that may be complementary to yours? Or is it something that you are fine-tuning to get better and what's the worth of it right so each of us have a different definition for it so reflect on that is my invitation to to them and also know that there is perfection in imperfection you know I can't emphasize that enough uh, in our talk today and you know specifically around financial needs as if entrepreneurs and creators are looking uh, for funding for their projects, um, just just know that um, it's hard, it's difficult uh, to raise money, um, but there are processes, again, you can follow on getting your mission right, your vision right, um, and, and, you know, how are you going to make the business happen? If there is a compelling story you can share with people who you're wanting funding from, you know, this, it becomes highly likely that you can get funding. But if you're not, then you need to fine-tune your story a lot. I have a book on my desk, you know, when I meet with entrepreneurs, I always share it with them. It's like if you're looking for funding from VCs particularly, there are several books out there, but they will always ask you to have a pitch deck, you know, of 10 slides. What are you doing? Why are you doing it? Why are you the right person to do it? What is the impact? If you come to Wisdom Ventures, we'll ask you, what is the impact you can create? And why do you want to create that impact? And typically, you know, the last three or four slides will read about business plan. What is your vision for two years? Where do you want to take this product and service? And how are you going to get there, right? And if that seems compelling, where the impact meets the ROI, um, people would be interested in you. So find the books and or mentors and advisors who can help you get there because not all of us have been given all the gifts but we have gifts of people around us so leverage that lean on people read books the book i mentioned is called get backed <laughs> i don't get any royalties from them but i mention to mention it in every call so i'll share it uh, openly as well it's a beautiful book you know you can flip through it very engaging and uh, it helps you helps you get your story right Thank you. I think that's, that's a perfect answer and perfect advice and a perfect ending for this <laughs> <laughs> imperfect podcast. Thank you so much, Rutika, for being our guest today. Oh, it's a delight. Such a beautiful conversation with you, Risto. Thank you for bringing this to the world. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening to the Talks of Imperfection. The podcast is enabled by Edita Prima, the kindest Nordic tech company that orchestrates automated customer journeys to perfection by turning data friendly. That's all, folks. It was good to have you on board. Please subscribe to the podcast, follow us on Instagram, and hold tight until the next episode. <laughs>